Uh, we are going to look at one verse of the Bible. We're going to go to the very last book of the Bible. We're going to go maybe to the very last page of the Bible. And we're going to be looking at Revelation 22.4. Uh, I will read it in just a moment, but first let's begin with prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your grace. We thank you so much for your word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. And we recognize, Heavenly Father, that to be here and to worship is a gift and is a grace and is something that is founded on your word and is something that is made powerful by your Holy Spirit. So, Heavenly Father, we ask that you would just make us open minds, open hearts, to let the Holy Spirit do his work upon us by your word. Help me to be faithful in preaching that it may not be my words, but your holy word that lasts in our hearts today. We pray all of this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. All right. Hopefully that little popping noise won't uh, continue too much. So um, before we read our scripture, uh, today is a very important day of our... Hang on just a second. Does that work any better? Still coming through? Okay. A uh, very important day uh, in, our, in our nation's calendar, it's, uh, it's the Academy Awards. Anybody here uh, going to be watching the Academy Awards tonight? Yeah, I know. I, I've stopped watching them too. But uh, this year, there is a, uh, a movie that's been nominated for Best Picture, though I don't think it's necessarily Best Picture quality. And also, I wouldn't say that as a pastor, I'm saying go out and watch this movie. But it makes a, uh, an interesting point that I just want to play off of as we get into our message. So the, the, the uh, movie that has come out is called Don't Look Up. And the idea of this movie is that there is this terrible comet, a, 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 an Earth-destroying comet that is going to, to hit Earth, a direct hit on Earth. And uh, the, the humanity has like nine months before this comet hits, just barely enough time to do something to stop this comet from destroying life. But it's kind of a satire of modern culture, and it, it, re, it, it, it plays on how we as a culture do everything but deal with the bad news that is coming our direction. So we distract ourselves with social media. We distract ourselves with our gossip shows. Our politicians just divide and fight and make everything uh, a, a bitter battle instead of just dealing with the problem. And so at one point... The answer to this comet coming to destroy the earth is simply to take this advice. Don't look up. Just don't look up. Don't look at it like an, like an ostrich. Just put your head in the sand and forget about it. And people don't look up. And they don't look at the fact that there is a comet that they can see in broad daylight. And uh, the movie has a pretty negative message about humanity. Maybe not entirely wrong, but... It does, I think, offer an insight because it talks to us about how we deal with bad news. Don't look up, right? But it made me think, what about the good news? You know, we live in a culture that thinks that bad news is the biggest news. But as a church, we believe that the good news is the biggest news, but as a, as a, as a group of, of Christians, as a group of believers, how often are we kind of similar to the don't look up crowd when we have 
this message, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. God is saying, just look up. See the heavens. See my power as a creator. Just look up. And yet we are a, a people that don't look up. Instead, we, we look at the fights on Facebook. We, we look at the, the conflicts and the, 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 the acidity of our 24-hour news networks. And we read our newspapers about the latest in Ukraine. And, and we, we uh, bicker about the mandates that have come to us from COVID and how we're going to respond to those. And we have just become a, 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 a population that is just fighting at each other, fighting at the world, growing in despair, growing in bitterness, growing in just defeat. And here we are with this message, the heavens declare the glory of God. The world makes it hard for us to see the good news. This is a, a picture of what we call light pollution. On the, on the left, my left, I guess it's all everybody's left, uh, is, is a, a little house in the middle of a, a, a city area, and this is natural. This is what all of the light in our world is doing to the sky. All the light on the earth is reflecting up, and it's blocking the night sky. The picture on the right is after a huge power outage when all the lights were taken out. And you can see now in the sky that was all hazy and brown, the majestic heavens on display. And I think this is a great picture for what we struggle with because the world is constantly putting light in front of our faces, causing us not to be able to see clearly the good news that's right above us. They are wanting us to continually look away from the glory that is displayed for us. And a lot of times they're pretty successful. They grab our attention over and over again. So we live in a world of spiritual light pollution. We need to get to a place where the sky is clear, where we can truly see the good news that is always true for us. And Revelation 22.4 is the clear sky picture of Christian hope. This is where the Bible ends. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. In this verse, God is telling us, just look up and see what I am doing. Sounds like a good idea, right? Something for us to do instead of looking left and right at all of the things that worry us. I am here because I need this message. I mentioned to you that I am between calls. Uh, I am unemployed. <laughs> I have a lot of things that, uh, that worry me, a lot of things that feel out of control, a lot of things in my life that are not uh, on pace with where I want them to be. And so I have a lot of time that my mind can spin about how much trouble is in my life. I need to look up. So as I encourage you to look up, I'm encouraging myself to look up. Let's look up at this verse and see two glories of our confident 
of our Christian hope. Let's get ahead of ourselves there. So let's behold two glories of our Christian hope from this verse. The first thing I want you to see, you will be holy. You will be holy. His name will be on their foreheads. Now, when the, the, the Bible tells us here in Revelation that his name will be on their foreheads, he is not simply saying that you are his possession. He is saying something more than that. He is saying that you will be a reflector of his glory. You will be glorified. You will be made perfect. The reason that his name is on your foreheads is because the Holy One can sign his name to you and say, that reflects me, the Holy One. You are going to be displayed for all ages as God's masterpiece. We sometimes get to see masterpieces like a, a Stradivarius, you know, a, a violin that makes a no, noise that is so pure and so beautiful that only the most trained and exceptional musicians even get to touch it. And if you have trained ears in classical music, when you hear a Stradivarius, you say, that's a Stradivarius. Because it makes the most perfect noise that it glorifies its creator just by being. And that is what we are being told here when he says his name will be on their foreheads. You will be holy. Now I'm going to make a point about you being holy. It's important that we know what I mean by holy. I don't mean stuffiness. I don't mean prudishness. I don't mean the, the person that just says no, no, no about everything in this world. What does holiness look like? Holiness is perfect love, perfect joy, perfect peace, perfect goodness. It's beauty. It's wholeness. I want to give you a picture of what holy is. Holy is a wedding. You know how a wedding, everything is beautiful, everything is fresh, everything is, is done as perfectly as we can. The, the groom is dressed as, as handsomely as they can. The bride is in her beautiful dress. And all of that is beautiful. But the most beautiful thing about the wedding is that it is a Man and a woman pledging publicly their unlimited and unending faithfulness and devotion to one another. That's holy. And it's beautiful. It's not finger wagging. It's this beautiful, the way things ought to be picture. And I think we get to see that in a wedding. Now, for me, I love that I can look forward to this truth. I will be holy because that means for me, no more sin in my nature. No more corruption, no more profane thoughts, 
No more inordinate desires. All of that that just continues to pull me away from holiness. I'll be free of it. I'll have nothing to hide when holiness finally has its effect. I won't have a church self and a Monday through Saturday self when holiness finally triumphs in me. I can't wait to finally desire and only do that which delights God. What about you? That's holiness, to be incorruptibly good, to know that every single thought, feeling, and action, and word that we speak truly and fully glorifies him. And I want you to know that you can be absolutely sure that his name will be on their foreheads is true of every Christian. How can I say that so confidently? Because Paul says that. He says, all those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Little English lesson. What is the verbal tense of all of those words, those verbs? Past tense. Paul can say those who are justified, those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ for their salvation, are certainly going to be glorified. Because to be justified is to inevitably and unchangeably end in glorification. You will be holy if you are in Jesus. Amen? So what? That's tomorrow. Or maybe 10 or 20 years. Or the guy that turned 60, just a handful. <laughs> less less hard, probably for him than me. Uh, no. That, that's, that's way in the future. So what? You will be holy. Therefore, seek holiness now. That's what it means to know your destination is holy, is to seek holiness now. For all of those who have been uh, married, you know that the wedding day doesn't just happen on the date that you set. You are planning and preparing exercising, spending money, organizing, getting everything ready for months, sometimes years in advance, so that that day is a beautiful day that goes just the way that you want it to go. If you are serious about your wedding day, you are preparing for your wedding day. Likewise, if you are serious about the hope of being holy, you are preparing by seeking holiness now. Are you pursuing holiness? Are you pursuing holiness? Some have let the distractions stop them. Some have had the light pollution of all the different things in this world, all the things that glitter, all the things that offer instant gratification steal their gaze from where they are supposed to be headed, and they have essentially stopped the pursuit of holiness. 
Some of you have left the path of pursuing holiness. You have chosen the quick and easy joy of your relationship, whether God's word supports it or not. You have chosen making a dollar, whether it's ethical or not. You have chosen to bend the truth or to lie because it gives you an immediate uh, gift that you desire. Some of you have stopped the path of holiness. You have taken your eyes off of what you are supposed to be. I want to tell you the story of a, a wise king from Africa uh, many generations ago. And he had a son who uh, left the path that was destined for him, the path of royalty. And he started just living each day YOLO. Just yo, you only live once. I'm just going to do what's fun. I'm just going to enjoy what I can each and every day. And that king finally came to speak to his son. His name was Mufasa. His son's name was Simba. He was the Lion King. <laughs> and he spoke to his son and he said, You are more than what you have become. You are more than what you have become. That is essentially what this word says to anybody who has stopped or left the path of pursuing holiness. You are God's son. And if you are not pursuing holiness, then you are more than what you have become. John tells us, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Are you hoping in him? Are you purifying yourself? I.e., are you hungering and pursuing holiness? Now, some of you, you are pursuing holiness, but you're overwhelmed. You're wary. Holiness is beginning to feel more and more fruitless and futile in the world that we are living in. We are seeing the bad people and the bad ways win the day. Is it really worthwhile to continue to stick with holiness? And we're tired. We're living in a, in a culture that is foreign to us, that is increasingly hostile to us. To hold and believe the things that our ancestors held to and believed is to make us in danger of ridicule and persecution. It is hard to be holy in an increasingly unholy culture. It is threatening. Do you guys perhaps feel a bit like Daniel? You know, the story of, of Daniel. But do you remember what Daniel did when things got bad? 
when he felt like he was uh, outnumbered, he felt like he was being bullied for who he was, he couldn't find any friends. Do you remember what Daniel did? He found Mr. Miyagi. <laughs> and he learned karate. Right? But seriously, the karate kid. I mean, it's Academy Awards Day, guys. The karate kid uh, is, a, is an, I think, an apt reminder of the pursuit of holiness. Because... Uh, Daniel, he, he discovers he needs skills that he doesn't have. He needs to be a, a kid who can do things that he's not able to do. He is low on the karate scale, and he needs development. So he finds Mr. Miyagi, who's going to teach him karate. But instead of being taught karate, Mr. Miyagi makes him wash his car, makes him sand his uh, 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 walkway, makes him paint his fence, makes him do all of these menial labor tasks. And he's like, I just want to learn karate. I think a lot of us maybe feel that way in our culture right now. I just want to grow as a Christian, but I'm having to be uh, pulled over here in these political discussions. I'm having to be pulled over here in these fears about Ukraine. I'm having to be pulled over here in, in making decisions about medical care and, and public safety and all of these sorts of things. I just want to be holy. And all I get to have around me are, are restrictions and fears and conflicts and hard people to love, and things we have to live without, I'm having to sacrifice. And we're kind of like, Daniel, where's the karate? And then we come to this awesome scene in the movie where Mr. Miyagi says, wash the car, and throws a punch at, at Daniel. And he uses the hand movement for washing the car, and he blocks the punch. And then he says, now paint the fence as he tries to go low. And the guy pushes his hand down and blocks the punch. And we discover that Mr. Miyagi was actually using all of these menial tasks that seem to be nothing but karate to teach Daniel karate. Could God be doing the same thing? I mean, many of us think 2020, 2021, what lost years Setbacks, set behind, uh, losses right and left. And yet, what does it mean to become holy? It means the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Now, I ask you, could God have dialed up a better clinic for us to truly learn the fruit of the Spirit than the years that we are in right now? Where do you learn patience but in the times where you can't have instant gratification? Where do you learn self-control but the times when you just want to go off on somebody? When do you learn kindness but when you watch post after post after post on Facebook and you're like, if I could slap that person, Right? Here's what I'm suggesting. Many of us think that we have had a setback and a lost year. But if the true thing that we are aiming for is God's holiness, we may just find that these years that we have gone through have moved us closer to holiness than any other time of our lives, especially the easy times. We've been learning the karate of the Holy Spirit. We didn't even know it.
These days are not lost. They are the days we need to grow spiritually. Be encouraged. You will be holy. But even more, you will behold his face. This is why holiness is our pursuit. Because at the end of holiness is getting to see him as he is. The Bible tells us, Revelation 24, they will see his face. And of all the saints in the, in the scriptures, Moses in the Old Testament, and all the other saints, the greatest desire of those who have a relationship with God is always, let me see your face. And the face of God is something that no one has been able to see. Why? Because we are physically incapable of looking at the true unblemished holiness of God. His holiness is a consuming fire and our flesh is too sinful to lay eyes on it directly. And second, our imaginations are too weak to properly picture what glorious holiness God possesses. That is the whole purpose of the second commandment, which is to say to make no image of God. He is saying there is no ability for our fallen and limited mind, in their, even in their greatest thoughts and imaginations and musings, to properly picture God as he is. And to not properly picture God as he is, is to diminish him, to make an idol. And so the picture of God's face is something that has laid before all believers in the gospel and has remained unfulfilled until the last day. The face of God, maybe as an example, would, would be similar, though even greater, than trying to explain to a young child, a four or five-year-old, what it means that the greatest joy in your life will be the joy that you will have with your spouse on your, on your wedding night. Or maybe a couple nights after that, depending on, you know, whatever. But, what, what does a kid think about that? He doesn't have the ability to grapple with what you are talking about. C.S. Lewis says, uh, the kid would probably imagine that you're going to eat really fancy chocolates in your bedroom. Because chocolates are the, the best thing he can imagine doing. And how, how wrong that child is. But here's the thing. As you mature physically, your desire for that wedding night experience comes naturally. You haven't experienced it, but you are drawn to a life to fulfill that desire. Here's what I want you to grasp. Just as physical maturity drives us to a desire for marriage... Spiritual maturity drives our desire to see God's face. And so there's a question there for you. Is God's face a growing and greatest desire 
in your spiritual life. See, the difference between a, a baby Christian is that they see Jesus as useful. Jesus gets me forgiveness. Jesus gets me out of hell. Jesus gets me uh, a community of friends and a church. Jesus gets me X, Y, and Z. Jesus is useful. But a true, mature, growing Christian sees Jesus as beautiful. And what's it mean to see Jesus as beautiful? It means I just want to see him. I just want to be in the presence of him. I don't care what I get. I don't care what I lose. I just want him. Show me your face, Lord, and I will be happy. That is the measure of your spiritual maturity. Have you gotten to that place where beholding his face drives you and stirs you? Is that growing? This is a self-examination question. Pursue that face. Do you know what God's face is toward you right now? Do you know what he looks at you and what he shows on his face? Beloved, this is so important. I can't tell you what his face looks like, but I can tell you what's on his face. All of the love, all of the pride, all of the happiness, all of the joy, all of the delight that God has for Jesus shines on you. Because when he sees you, he sees you washed clean by Jesus' blood and made righteous by Jesus' perfection. And so God looks upon you with the same joy-filled face that he looks at Jesus. He doesn't see your failures. He doesn't see your sins. He doesn't see that, that thought life that you can't master. He doesn't see that thing that wakes you up in the middle of the night. Why did I do that? In Jesus, he sees you beautiful. And he loves you. And I want everyone here to know without a doubt that that is yours, not based on how good you are or how good you've been or how not like someone else you are, but because Jesus by his gift of salvation, has made you holy in God's eyes. Amen? So what does this mean for us? Beloved, look to his face. Look to God's face. Look to that face that loves you that shines on you, all his blessing. Here's another principle. Our life is going to reflect what we put our face in front of. If you put your face in front of a bunch of negativity, a bunch of stuff that makes you angry, 
a bunch of stuff that makes you feel better than other people? What do you reflect? You are going to reflect to the world sourness, unfriendliness, judgmentalness, bitterness, negativity. And let's be honest. When the world looks at the church, they see a lot of that kind of face. You know what I think that means? I don't think our face is on Jesus. Because our face isn't reflecting Jesus. But we can reflect Jesus. Listen to these powerful words in 2 Corinthians. And we with all we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another for this comes from the Lord who is the spirit do you see you behold the face of the Lord and you are transformed from one degree of glory to another you are reflecting more of Jesus the more you behold Jesus Reminds me of my wedding day. Becky, who's back there wearing a veil of sorts right now. But when we got married, uh, we had her in her beautiful dress and she wore the veil. She wore the veil all the way to the end of the ceremony and I got to take the veil off. But I can tell you, nothing rivals that day for joy and anticipation in my life than when I stood in the front of the church here comes the bride, begins to play, the doors open, and the love of my life, as beautiful as she has ever been, except for today, comes down the aisle to me. There were two, three hundred people in that room that day. I didn't see any of them. I saw Becky. And when I got to pull that veil and throw that over her face and got to hear those words, you may kiss the bride, there was only one thing, only one person that had my face and my face reflected so much joy. Oh, that God's face would be the only face that mattered to you. That knowing that God's face shines on you, that that was the way you decided your day. That that was the way you lived your life. Beloved, seek his face daily. And your life will make him known. Isn't that beautiful? So the two glories of our certain hope. You will be holy. And you will behold his face. Revelation 22.4 is the clear sky picture of the Christian hope. Does that encourage you? Does that reorient you? 
Does that give you hope against all of the negative stories that bombard you? You can say yes. Do you have this hope? Let me be blunt. It is unlikely that I am speaking to people, every single one of you, that truly has this hope, that has truly made Jesus Christ their Lord and Savior. It is, I believe, true that there are people sitting here right now who have sat with Christians, who have talked like a Christian, but when it comes to the real fact of being a Christian, have just stayed shy of that commitment. And those individuals do not have the hope that I am talking about. They do not have the hope of holiness. They do not have the hope of God's face shining upon them. But I want to say, everyone in this room can have that hope. That hope is offered to each and every one of you, no matter what you have done, no matter what you are afraid of. There is love that will drive out every fear in the gospel. Jesus explained it so simply. He said this, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Now this is an interesting story. Jesus is referring to a, a, a scene in the uh, days of Moses where a bunch of venomous serpents were let into uh, the camp of God. All of I Israel was being bitten and chased down by these serpents that were venomous, that would kill them after one bite. And the people are panicked. They're afraid and they're, they're dying right and left. And God tells Moses to fashion a bronze snake and to put it up on a pole and give the instructions to the people. Every person who turns and looks at the bronze snake will be healed and protected from the dangerous bite. All they had to do was to look up at the bronze snake, and immediately they were healed. Jesus is taking that image to tell us that he is what that bronze snake was pointing to. He will be lifted up upon a cross. He will have the sins of the world placed upon him. He will have the wrath of God dispensed upon him. He will drink the cup dry. And because he does that, all who turn and look to Jesus as their Savior, the forgiver of their sins, and the source of their life, simply look at Jesus and believe in him, will be saved will have eternal life. Beloved, whatever you are facing, whatever discouragement, whatever shame, whatever fear, Jesus calls you to know him.
and be saved. What must you do? Just look up and see Jesus' forgiveness and love for you. Just look up and believe in him. Just look up and you will be saved. Amen?